Hey all, it's Mike from Theology on Mission podcast, and we don't do this a lot, but I'm going to do a little commercial here. Our friends here at Northern Seminary, Tara Beth Leach and Mark Quanstrom, uh, they put together a new podcast called The Pastor's Table, where they talk about theological convictions in the life of the church. I'll put the link in the show notes. We'd love for you to check that out. We're big fans of it already. Also, Selfish Commercial, the Theology and Mission Lectures are coming up June 8th and 9th. Reverend Dr. Sarah Coakley is going to be here to deliver those. So come on out to Chicago. We'd love to have you in person. If not, you can join us online. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, it's Dave Fitch, Mike Moore here on Theology on Mission Podcast, the place, the podcast, the radio station, your place to come for all things theology, engaging culture for Christ and his mission. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast, Mike Moore. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling, feeling tired. I and, know, yeah. And you told me you look tired this morning. So I did tell you you look tired this morning. Why do you think you might be tired? Oh, God. Okay, yeah, well, we're going to avoid that topic. Uh, <laughs> but evidently, uh, yeah, your household pet has been sleeping with you. Lately. Yeah, yeah, my household pet wants to try to play at <laughs> 3 a.m. and then 5 a.m. and then, you know, it's you hard know, to sleep. Yeah. My dog well, mm-hmm. can't even make it up the stairs to the bedrooms. In really? The house. Yeah. Oh, that makes it's, it easy. So we don't have that problem. But, anyways, it's a nice problem to have. I love animals, I love pets. Yes. I'm a dog man, and you're a, you're a cat. Man. Guy, you know, cat guy. Are you yeah. a cat guy, or is it yeah. just your wife I is like, a cat woman? Well, yeah, she's definitely a cat woman. I like our cat. I don't like cats, plural. In general. Yeah, cats in general do do very little for me, but our cat, I'm a fan. All right. Well, hey, let's get down to the brass tacks here. Let's get down let's to the do business it. here. Uh, the other day on Facebook, I said, maybe it was on Twitter. Maybe it was, it's always on both anyways. Folks, you can follow me on Facebook by hitting Facebook slash Fitchest, or I'm on Twitter at Fitchest. But anyways, I said, um, third way evangelical. Hmm. When someone calls me a third way evangelical, I get very upset. They're making fun of you? Uh, No, they're not making fun of me. I don't like it. But anyways, I try to convince them. Here's what the... Just to get back to the actual uh-huh. tweet here uh, or Facebook post. When someone calls me a third way evangelical, I try to convince them that the first two ways are really the same. I prefer the label subversive apocalyptic. Evangelical. How about that for a zinger of a tweet, Mike Moore? <laughs> you want somebody to call you subversive apocalyptic. Exactly. Evangelical. Uh, evangelical, maybe, but there's all sorts of, of course, problems depending on from where you speak sure. about that term. I'd like to discuss this because Phil Vischer, our friend, mm-hmm. by the way, he's also uh, from Christian Missionary Alliance Heritage, like I am, <clears throat> and uh, he kind of poked around and said, I have no idea what that means. Okay. And I said, I would do a podcast with you on it. Okay. Oh, I didn't well, we, clear it with you before well, we I said that on Twitter. should have invited Phil on the podcast. We then. should have. But anyways, let's get down to what this means. Yes. Third, I, I'm resisting. I don't like the words third way evangelical because of the way it's been framed. There are people who see it as a both sidesism, mm-hmm. And so I've been accused of both sidesism. 
In other words, people say, hey, if there's an issue of justice, you either got to make you got to make a stand for or against Mm -hmm. and any kind of complexifying Mm -hmm. of the issue puts you into this both sidesism camp. We know who we know who most famously got accused of both sidesism. His name is Donald Trump. He found positives and negatives about Nazi oh, marches right. and yeah. you remember that Charlotte oh yes sure and do. so forth so um so so when you're being accused of both sides isms uh people are looking at the left and the right and they're interpreting you as saying a third way as like you're like down the middle a compromise you're like or, a moderate or that I'm not taking a stand I just want to say I don't think I've ever not taken a stand against hmm. racism I've never not taken a stand against homophobia. Mm-hmm. I've never not taken a stand against bad economics that put people in power merely because of who they were born, what family they were born right. into. So I, I don't think it's a fair accusation, but I think what they're saying is, or they're assuming, is that Fitch is trying to find a way to be friends with everybody. Get everybody in the room talk about your issues and you kind of relativize the the problems on both sides right right and and this is just not ever what i aim to do what Mm -hmm. i do i think i cannot be accused of this now let's just take the example of sexuality okay okay typically and this is kind of where people i think Um, see me as playing both sides. Mm -hmm. Sexuality gets framed as are you affirming or not affirming? Right. And if you are, if you try to hedge or not make a statement, you are hedging and you are playing bait and switch and various other things with the Mm -hmm. culture and with people who are either struggling with their sexuality or have come out as gay, lesbian, or others. Suggest it's much more complicated Mm -hmm. than that. Um, you know, let's just take the category of attraction. Okay. We know, you know, queer theorists, gay theorists, um, feminists, we know out of all those discourses, they make a point of saying that attraction can be built on misogyny Mm -hmm. or patriarchy. Or the sexualizing of bodies. The male gaze. All these things um, that could, I'm not saying are, but that could be, our our attractions could be based on. In fact, I would say most modern romanticistic American uh, heterosexual attraction Mm -hmm. is, you cannot assume that there is not misogyny, patriarchy, sexualizing of bodies, abuse, lust in there. And so for me to affirm or to not affirm, yeah, this is what third wave feminists say. If you are just affirming or not affirming of a woman, you have not extracted her out of her definition in relation to man. So she's still held in patriarchy. No matter what you do, if mm-hmm. the frame mm-hmm. is still holds, mm-hmm. the woman cannot get out of being seen, looked at, treated as under man. Yeah. Under oppression. 
yeah. in male patriarchy. And so I would say that if you're going to affirm or not affirm without examining what the attractions are, where they come from, and what's ensconced in them, you're actually perpetuating those attractions, which are misogynist, mm-hmm. patriarchy, mm-hmm. sexualizing, even the abuse and, and the, and the yeah. postures of power that are built within those frames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're trying to zoom the optic out a little bit to not just merely talk about attraction, but to talk about how our attractions have been formed. I think, okay, I'm going to just talk to us men for a minute now because that's what I happen to be. If you can't deconstruct your attractions in this day and age, right? if you can't take a look at what things like pornography and Hollywood have done to the way you look at a woman, if you can't deconstruct that, you are going to be held captive to that. Oh, By man. the way, this is true of racism. I think it's broadly understood that the, that the frame of race is an ideological framework which places persons of color, often black persons, into the gaze of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Even so much so that we can't even see it can't even see the way whiteness and white supremacy in this Euro, historically Euro-colonialist culture frames black persons. Mm -hmm. If you just say, like in the first couple of waves of anti-racism, if you just say, we want equality of black persons with white persons, and you don't deconstruct the frame, the white supremacy, other ways will be found. Right. Yeah. To manifest that power structure, that imprisonment, that racism. Yeah, and that, that's some of the conversations that we had with John Tran when he was on the podcast last year. Exactly, the identitarian that, racism only goes so far. Right, in the frame, uh, the economic frame actually ends up zooming out and widening the optics, so we can see how racism persists because it, in John's words, so I'm gonna it f- works. I'm going to fight on this hill because I think it's so important. I know how important this is because I'm a male that got shaped by this BS culture mm-hmm. and the way this culture shaped to to uh, have affluent white men look at women. Yeah. And what it means to be attracted to who and how you go about obtaining what you're attracted to or who you're attracted to. It's insidious. So anyways, um, I resist the both sidesism accusation. I resist because the third way evangelical yeah. because it mistakenly overlooks the way frames work. And that's what people like you and me are trying yeah. to get at with our examination of culture. Can I give you a little, well, I don't want to say pushback. We're nonviolent here. So I don't know. What's pushback be- can be nonviolent. Oh, okay, okay. As long as you don't. Okay. As long as you don't check me into the boards. A nonviolent pushback. So l- let's say we unpack attraction, deal that work that you're talking about. The question still remains, so do you affirm or do you not affirm? Once we've done the unpacking of attraction, can you still answer the question, do we affirm or do we not affirm? Or are you saying that question is just off the table? It's not, it's not a worthy question. No, no I, I don't think it's off the table. I think affirm or not affirm, however, is a hegemonous uh, category. It puts everything into one hegemonous category of, of attraction, se- of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, the many different components of a sexuality. And actually, I think depending on where you're at, you've heard me say this before, to mm-hmm. be a gay person changes, differs, say, from Paris, France, sure. north side of Chicago, Wheaton, Illinois, yeah. 
Missouri. Hyde Park, Chicago. Yeah. And and so I don't wanna hege- I don't wanna throw everybody into one's right. total hegemonic category mm-hmm. so that we can affirm this or not affirm this. The also the thing is there are things that I that once I get to know a person and understand a person, I think a church can affirm things in mm-hmm. certain sexualities and not affirm other things. This is the process of sanctification. Right, so right, right. I don't want to I don't want to get people uh, on either side of these issues upset with me. But to go in and say I cannot affirm you right. as a gay person, lesbian person, trans person is is absurd or to say I can affirm there are things like like if you're going to affirm my heterosexuality of course like yeah. more it, yeah you're just going to blanketly affirm it right you're going to miss it's gonna, it's just a band-aid over oh, a yeah. host I mean, of yeah. problems yeah. for, for, for that, all of our sexualities right yeah there's just so much to in, in sexuality is such a complicated mm-hmm. complicated issue and it goes so deep into our lives right right can yeah. we not turn these into ideological categories as my of course please yeah, and it misses out a lot on people's stories, their traumas, uh, how they were shaped and formed, their families of origin, how they live out their sexuality within their church, within their within their community. So, yeah. Yeah, I get and it. at the same time, by the way, and this is not a podcast about sexuality, but at the same time, I just want to say, we've got to find a way to say you are seen, you are loved, mm-hmm. you are welcomed here, mm-hmm. you are included here. Right. This is not... Because what the church has done on this sexuality issue is turned it into a hegemonic sure. uh, declaration that has excluded people. If you don't look like this, feel like this, right? Uh, have attractions like this, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. I mean, James Dobson's really done a number. Yes, that's on, right. On evangelical sexuality, that's all we have time for yeah, today, yeah. folks. About say, but I, <laughs> I just want to talk then about a second thing. Okay, so the both sidesism mm-hmm. accusation misses it puts a band-aid it, it fails to see the complexities of the ideological frames but the second thing i want to say is that that i want a different way of understanding or engaging culture than just a simple yes or no for or against and once you see the way and i believe we're in an ideological society and once you see that how antagonism works and how it works to ensconce, one of my favorite words, your identity into a frame, then you are just merely, when you get into a for or against, you are just merely further, furthering the violence, mm-hmm. furthering the digging in into the ideology. And we're not really getting into the complexities of the social cultural issues of our time including racism sexuality gender economics politics on and on can can you give us a quick example of a current ideology right now um abortion yep okay so abortion has now gotten uh extracted from actual people's lives yep and the way we're discerning it and uh by the way there's a deep discourse in the church about sexuality, abortion, procreation, uh, the meaning and experience of sexuality itself that 
there, I believe, at least I believe, I think there's an argument to be made that I, on the opposite of what I'm about to say, but I believe unless you're a Christian, you cannot see and you cannot understand how abortion works against the full purposes of God yeah. in our lives. And, and it builds an antagonism because you're either For pro, pro-choice or, against. or you're pro-life. And then you rally around that. And you rally around it. Mm-hmm. And you get your whole your identity on politics and who you are as a Christian around it. Yep. And, and we lose what's going on in people's lives, mm-hmm. on persons and their lives and their struggles and their pains. Yeah. And it ideologizes yeah. it. Good example. It gets us nowhere. It actually gets us nowhere on the issue of abortion. But anyways, you know, so I would say, so elsewhere I have said, that antagonism. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, here's here's another. If I can find it, here's another social media post on Facebook or Twitter by me. I think the last three four weeks. My goals on social media. I said, I don't look for arguments. In fact, I move on if it turns into an argument. I seek conversations. I seek spaces to disrupt and not to antagonize. Mm -hmm. If you're an Anabaptist like me, antagonism is violence. Antagonism of ideology sets me against you. And and it's not only just an argument, it ensconces my identity over against you. I get get my sense of who I am by seeing you go down. It's, there's a, this is, folks, ideology. We study it at Northern Seminary. We study it in the doctorate in contextual, theology. What I want us to understand here is that once we see culture in this way of critical theory, where culture and subjectivity is formed through ideology, I can no longer just enter into a for or against. I've got to now, because it plays into the violence of the culture, I've now got to go be present in the midst of the antagonism. You're saying arguments are violence. Is that, is that what you said for for Anabaptists? Um, arguments in the way I'm using. Yeah, gotcha, the gotcha. Me against you. I want to go listen. I want to go ask questions. Okay. I want to go hear what's at the core, and then uh, I'm going to talk about in a minute. I want. I, I believe a community of witness disrupts uh-huh. the ideology. Disruption is not violence, although it may create all sorts of mayhem around it. Yeah. It is not violence. It is disrupting the frame, hmm. and it creates new possibilities. That's why when I said subversive, apocalyptic, mm-hmm. am I throwing too much in this podcast? No, no. I am throwing so much <laughs> theory. Critical. Well, that, that, uh, that's why I'm kind of pulling you back a little, little bit here when I was asking that question, because you're saying antagonistic arguments is violence. Your detractors would say, well, Fitch, silence is violence. You're saying arguments are violence. Your detractors are going to say, showing up and being present, that's not going to do enough. That's silence. That's complicit. Uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King would say nonviolence was act- action, uh-huh. presence, yeah. putting your body in the middle of a place. Yes. It's actually putting yourself between the violence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And putting your body on the line for violence. All we- of that is in my I agree with that. definition presence yes but what do you do when most of these well sorry i was gonna take us somewhere way different i was just gonna say what do you do when most of these conversations are happening in a place 
where your body actually isn't required to be there. Now we're so, talking social media. Yeah, yeah, anyhow. We're talking about yeah, the problem of social media. Yeah, That's got to we'll be leave another that podcast. Yep. But um, I, I just want to say, though, to make my point, that to disrupt, let me read what I said in answer to this. If you see culture through critical theory, where culture and subjectivity is formed through ideology, and this is kind of what I've been arguing for this whole podcast, then you can no longer see the conflictual as merely for or against, as the only options. Because in some cases, Mike Moore, Mm -hmm. you are locked into a frame, and if you can't dislodge the frame, your for or against merely reinforces the frame. Yeah. Like earlier, we we're talking about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Your for or against merely um, reinforces. Right. If there's misogyny in there, if if there's patriarchy, if there's pornography, if mm-hmm. there's sexualization of persons, mm-hmm. it just reinforces the frame. It drives it further into people's lives, and hmm. and so um, I don't see any other way of of getting over that or through that except to dislodge it, hmm. disrupt it. And the way you disrupt it is my last, my third and last point. If my first point was to talk about the both sidesism yeah. accusation and and the fact that it doesn't address the ideological frame. And my second point is we need to have a different way of understanding culture through uh, ideological frames. Then my third point is that a church community of people being present with a way of life that calls into question hmm. that by just being present, listening and living a different way of life, it dislodges people's frames for the gospel. And that's what I mean by subversive mm-hmm. and apocalyptic. Yeah. Subversive from below undermines the antagonism from below not in your face but from Mm -hmm. below subversive and then uh, apocalyptic means that the kingdom of god breaks in through jesus christ the power of his presence to uh uh, heal reconcile transform into a possibly another option that we could not have Hmm. uh, anticipated or thought of apart from Jesus Christ. That's why yes. the for or against option is many times just not sufficient to engage incarnationally hmm. the struggles for justice in our culture. Yes. All right. Wow. I feel like we need to have a New Testament scholar on here to talk about apocalyptic no. theology. <laughs> no. Okay. Mike. Mike's trying to set set me off, folks. Uh, don't get me wrong. Us, the New Testament people, can help us. Absolutely. When it comes to culture, they need more experience being pastors of churches. Yeah. Well, and when it comes to culture, we do need Jesus to break in and to make things right. Yeah. So, so let's try to sum up this podcast. Uh, can okay. you, you know, you've 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 been studying this stuff with me for years. Mm-hmm. Do you think this makes sense to people? No. <laughs> I mean, sorry. It makes sense to me as the way to lead and to live. But I think that 
by and large, so much of the churches have been hooked into the us versus them thinking. And hooked into thinking culture is monolithic. Yeah. And I got to either go with it or against it. Go with it or against it in a way that's pretty disembodied and theoretical. And postured by hegemonic power, I might add. Yeah. I get to sit on this perch and say yes or no and tell everybody else what to do. You know what? I think it's a victory if you're like, if you're leading a church, if you're part of a community of a small group, if you can just like, if you can find just 10 people and be like, Hey, my goal is just to find 10 people to have these kinds of conversations with just that as you're describing it, I was thinking to myself like, okay, like in in what setting could this actually happen? And it has to be smaller. And granted, we say this all the time here, but like what a great goal to have to just try to find a small group of people to faithfully have these conversations with and to discern and to live it out under God's kingdom. Just just have that be be what you're doing. And that, I think, is enough. And, and by the way, I wrote a, a kind of a primer slash uh, popular book about this called The Church of mm-hmm. Us Versus Them. Right. Um, but I think it's much I think it's much deeper than that. But but question, don't you think we're at a time in um, a cultural moment in this church, mm-hmm. I, sorry, in this culture, yeah. where where people are ready for this, they're just so tired oh, yeah. of the antagonisms, the nonstop, all-absorbing antagonisms that are screwing up our lives and we're mm-hmm. getting nowhere. Don't you think they're ready for something? I think so. New? I, th- I think that's part of why the church is going through, uh, I, I know I shouldn't just say the church, um, but several forms of the evangelical church are going through an identity crisis right now. It's because people are just tired of this and people don't want to waste their time. People, people don't want to orient their weekends around showing up to a place where you're just further pushing the political divides and where we can't have real conversations and real relationships. And so again, I like, I, I said this on uh, social media, my goals on social media, but let me change that. My goals in life are not to look for arguments. I move on from arguments. I try to at least. Mm-hmm. You know I sometimes fail at that. Yep. I too. seek conversations. I seek people to be present amidst the struggles and pains, brokennesses, conflicts of life, and ask questions and listen and, and proclaim gospel when space is open. And and so I aim to dis I I aim to ask questions, make observations, to disrupt, not to antagonize. And I believe if we open spaces like that again and again and again, in in everywhere we live, in our families, in our towns, the places where we hang out, uh, the 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 workout club, the 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 bar, the mm-hmm. the homeless shelter, wherever I believe, space will be made. Yes. For the Holy Spirit to you. work in the days to come. Third way evangelical. Subversive apocalyptic. Subversive apocalyptic. Well, that wraps it up. Can I make an announcement? Sure. Uh, June. By the way, folks, he didn't need to ask my permission. Go ahead. <laughs> June 8th, June 9th, West Side of Chicago, Reverend Dr. Sarah Coakley. It's going to be so big. It's, <laughs> it's so going to be it's going to be great. She uh, sent the titles 
of her lectures to us this week. What so, are they? Can you tell us? What um, <laughs> you don't well, have them handy. Okay. Well, no, I do have them handy, but our uh, well, anyhow, our our server went down right before we started this podcast. So um, I right, don't tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah. for the titles. Sarah Coakley is. I mean, we've had a lot of very significant theologians in our time. We sure have at the theology uh, uh, and mission mm-hmm. lectureships. Uh, but this has got to be one of the biggest, if not yeah. the biggest. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're excited to have her. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for a Theology on a Mission podcast here, 2023. Actually, no, uh, uh, we're just starting 2023. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been a pleasure having with you. If you have a chance, mm-hmm. give us a review. Give us a positive review. Talk cool. about the uh, please the uh, charismatic <laughs> personality of Mike Moore and how he... How he <laughs> Is uh, leads such a compelling podcast, among other things, especially when he talks about his cats. But um, give us a review if you will; uh, we would appreciate it, and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again and again throughout 2023 as we podcast our way through it. Till then, ladies and gentlemen, it is Mike Moore and Dave Fitch over and out. <laughs> <laughs>